Welcome to the Mission Cleveland weekly podcast, encouragement and hope in a despairing world. Ordinary water into extraordinary wine, an illustration for the truth that Christ, our light, is breaking into the stuff of our ordinary lives and miraculously transforming it each day, if we have the eyes to see. And we've arrived at the fourth Sunday of Epiphany, so here we are, still very much concerned with Jesus' revealing of himself, manifesting the truth about who he is, bringing in the light of his presence to the entire world. And as I was thinking about this concept of light this week, Here are two phrases that came to mind that I think will help inform our understanding of our particular gospel passage today. Number one, light is illuminating. And number two, light is expansive. Light is illuminating and light is expansive. So let's set the stage for what's happening in this gospel narrative that that Luke just read to us. Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth, and he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath with his fellow Jews, and he stands up to read from the scroll of Isaiah. So here's what Jesus read just a few verses before we actually get to our passage today. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after he reads this, Luke, the gospel writer, tells us that all the eyes were fixed on him, and all spoke well of him, and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. So the people seemed to be astonished in awe, moved, inspired even by these words. And yet, six verses later, just six verses later, Luke reveals that all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. What happened in those six verses? Why such a significant emotional shift in the crowd that day? So I'll quickly summarize for you. Here's what's happening in that in-between space, in those six verses where all this emotional shift is taking place. So the people in the synagogue, they suddenly begin to recognize who Jesus is. He's Joseph's son, signifying his native status there in Nazareth. So this is a hometown guy to them, and there are probably some questions and even a bit of confusion of this authority that Jesus speaks with. Nevertheless, they want him to do in their midst, on their ground, on their turf, the work that they've just been hearing about. So Jesus then addresses the crowd, explaining to them that no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And he gives two examples of this. The first is of Elijah, who was sent to serve a widow in Zarephath in the land of Sidon, outside the boundaries of Israel, even though there were plenty of widows in need in Israel. 
And then the second example is of Elisha, who healed the leper Naaman, the Syrian, even though there were plenty of lepers in need of healing in Israel. And once these stories are communicated, that's when everything seems to change and the tone shifts. The emotive spirit of the people has pivoted hard from astonishment to rage, so much so that they wanted to kill Jesus in that moment. Now, the reality is that we can't truly know what was being stirred in their hearts that day, but we can do some interpretive work and we can ask some good questions that might help us better understand both the conditions of the Israelites' hearts in that moment, as well as our own hearts in our context today. So here's my first thought, my first question. Were they moved to anger just because Jesus is suggesting that his work, his light, his glory will extend outside the boundaries of Israel? Maybe. But it's also likely, hopefully, um, that they understood that even though they were God's chosen people, Gentiles would get in on this work of the Messiah too. In Isaiah 49 and in other places throughout Scripture, God says, I have a greater task for you, my servant, speaking to Israel. Not only will you restore to greatness the people of Israel who have survived, but I will also make you a light to the nations so that all the world may be saved. All the world. They knew that they were going to be living on mission. So here's my second thought or my second question about what's going on here. Were they moved to anger because Jesus is suggesting that he is passing through his hometown without giving them a piece of the pie, a taste of this messianic work that they've only been hearing about, but seem to somewhat demand that he do? I personally think this is a more plausible explanation than the first. And I know this word that I'm about to use, I'm about to throw out to you, may cause some of you to cringe because it's not a word anyone likes. But what I sense is that there is some degree of entitlement swimming around in the hearts of those in the synagogue in Nazareth that day. I mean, I can empathize with them, can't you? Like, I can hear them saying, we're your people, Jesus. Like, you're, you're close people. You grew up here. We knew you as a young boy. Don't we deserve to see these great wonders and works that you've done elsewhere? Don't we deserve to get in on this work of your life? Can you sense that the Israelites that day may have been feeling similarly to those emotions that you are carrying with you from that question I asked at the beginning? Hurt, anger, frustration, humiliation, embarrassment, etc., etc. The light of Jesus Christ breaks in, and perhaps they really are seeing it for what it is, seeing him for who he is, but it's illuminating some things within them that maybe are a little bit ugly, some wounds, some hurt, some sense of entitlement some wounded pride, some jealousy, whatever name you want to attach to it. And it moves them away from astonishment 
toward wrath. I think the truth here is that light is always illuminating, but the unfortunate truth is that we have the potential to make it dim by the way that we respond to it. And if you'll remember the other truth about light that I think is so important here is that light is expansive. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not often that a form of light is turned on or brought forth and it only illuminates one single space. It expands, it extends, it has breadth to it. I think of a sunrise over a canopy of trees. Here's a Google image for you. One single tree doesn't receive and experience the light. They all get in on it together. But we dim the expansive light of Christ, the light of the world, the true light, which gives light to everyone, when we vie for more of it than our neighbor. When we allow this dualistic model of insider and outsider to dominate the way we think about who gets in on the work of Jesus Christ. We dim the light of Christ when we beat our chests and declare that the Messiah belongs to us. The Messiah belongs to us and our neighbors down the street. And the people who have caused us so much pain and so much heartache and so much stress. And those who are certain they figured out who's in and who's out. And those who have never had an ounce of power in their lives. As far as this insider-outsider motif is at play here, we could identify with either group. We could find ourselves as part of this insider crowd, which seems to be the people group most directly addressed here in our passage today. Or we could find ourselves feeling more closely aligned with the outsider crowd. But here's a hard truth that Father Luke pointed out in our preaching team this week. But the light of Christ can be dimmed both when we think we deserve more of it than our neighbor and when we think we deserve none of it at all. No matter where you find yourself today, we all have the ability to respond to the light of Christ in a way that will either allow us to bask in it and remain astonished at it or cause it to become dimmer and dimmer in our lives and in the lives of those that we come in contact with. I know that this is not a warm and fuzzy passage. I was, so, I was challenged. I was deeply challenged by this passage today and working through it. And I think that's part of our call to one another. Our responsibility to one another in the body of Christ is to be challenged and then to challenge those we love, right? I have a few questions just, just as reflection for you before we wrap up. And the first one is a little bit odd, but stick with it if you're able. <laughs> when is the last time you felt angry at Jesus? Why do you think that is? When have you felt angry at Jesus and why? 
what might the light of Christ be illuminating in your heart and in my heart today? And do we feel entitled to the work of Jesus among us? Or are we on board for this expansive reality of the light of Christ? Mission Cleveland, let us not be a people who dims the light of Christ when it breaks forth in our lives. Let us be a people that remains astonished at the beauty and the power and the authority of this light, the true light coming into the world for all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us at the Mission Cleveland next week. Speak truth to me.